Well, good evening, everyone. It's um, our beautiful Wednesday night, and I feel like I can sleep for a thousand years. Sometimes your body gets tired, overworked, but um, we're glad to be in church on a Wednesday night, and um, I trust that those of you joining us, um, the Lord will bless you tonight. Amen. I'm glad for those in church, and we're typical Wednesday night, so we will pray and get into the worship and carry on from there. Um, Sister Pam's sister is not doing well. Uh, she lives in South Carolina, and so we want to remember to pray for her. Um, Sister Azimans Kempudu, our big sister, passed away this morning. We want to pray for the past day, the family. Um, Brother Sam is going for procedure on Friday. We want to remember to pray for him also. And then uh, whoever else, I, um, I don't know anyone else. We're glad to see Sister Indira back from her trip <coughs> safely. And uh, we give God thanks for all of this. Would you join me in prayer? Let's be start this service tonight. Father, we give you thanks once again for the privilege that we can come before your presence. Tonight, Lord, there's so many needs that we have, so many requests that we like to make. But Father, beyond what we know, you're in control and you know the very desires of our hearts. Tonight we ask that you'll have mercy on Sister Pam's um, sister, that you will touch her father and let your perfect will be accomplished in her life. Also, Lord, tonight we also remember the Campadus, that you will touch their hearts and uh, encourage them, Father, also, we bring Brother Sam before you and the procedure he's going for. Lord, you're in control and all of these things we place in your hands tonight. Please guide us. Please direct us. Please help us, Father. We give you thanks that you have never failed us, Lord, and we have all confidence that you will never fail us in the future. Bless the service tonight, we ask, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his glory. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord.
preacher for many, many, many years. And when zeal overpowers wisdom, in your, my early days you would preach without a microphone, and you know your voice, your human voice, can only last so much. 
And then, having preached for over 54 years, your voice gives up on you after a while. And um, that is why when we're singing, I can't sing and preach. So I have to choose which one. Am I going to sing or am I going to save the voice to make it through this message? And so I enjoy the songs. I thought uh, this last one, Lord, purify my heart, uh, reminded me of David's uh, Psalm 51. We talked about that just the other day. And uh, while we were singing that, this scripture came into my mind. And it's not what I intend to talk about, but what's new? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And um, one of the things I like about Paul is that he's always listing things. As I'm looking at chapter 7, my eyes go up to chapter 4. And he's talking about workers. But let's finish with chapter 7, verse 1. Having these, therefore, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, he says. And that is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He says, let us cleanse ourselves. I was listening to Brother Glenn Goodwin's message today. Uh, while I was driving, put the cell phone in my pocket and play his message. I got tired listening to my Sunday message. I think I listened to it about five times. So I said, okay, let me switch it over and listen to Brother Glenn, uh, Glenn's message. And it was, it was a good message. Uh, he was dealing with his, the normal, they call it in Des Moines, their Tuesday night Bible study program. And, um, uh, questions are asked. They remind me, reminded, reminded me when we started our Wednesday night, uh, we used to have questions. But as long as you all keep your mask on, I wouldn't let you ask a question because it's mumble up. Uh, in the near future, when the masks are gone and we can be like normal people back again, we'll sing, we'll talk, we'll chat, I'll see you smile, I'll hear you say amen because I'm back to normal. I, I have a mask if I need one. There's always a mask down at the bottom here. But um, I don't think I need one at this point in time. I'm trying to, I talk about when wisdom, uh, tonight we're talking about cleansing our spirits. Uh, keeping your body in line is important, but cleansing your spirit. And Paul says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. It is a responsibility that you and I have to cleanse ourselves. Um, I would say someone, I, one of the questions, the reason why I mentioned Brother Glenn was because one of the questions asked to him is if a person has a continuous promise, problem with practicing a sin that he can't overcome. Um, but he has a sin, would it be forgiven? I believe if you're a child of God, there's no sin that you can't overcome. With the strength of God, uh, God can help you to overcome anything. Through Christ, we are more than conquerors. That's what Brother Glenn said, and I agree with him. And um, uh, Paul is telling us here, telling the church at Corinth, he says, cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh. 
It's one thing to cleanse the flesh of all filthiness. It's another thing to cleanse the spirit of all filthiness. Uh, your spirit must be right. And so when your flesh, the carnal nature, the drives and motivations of the flesh are dealt with, then you need to cleanse your spirit. And there's no way you can cleanse your spirit without touching God and asking the Lord to help you by his spirit. And so this is a beautiful thing. He says perfecting. I like this verse. It says perfecting, not just be holy, but perfecting holiness. You know, um, being an artist, uh, sometimes you, you paint, and I haven't done painting for a long time, uh, except painting a little statue girl I got in the garden. But when you paint something and you look at it, you see a little flaw. I remember I was in high school and we were uh, allowed to write the GC common entrance, uh, GC exam, general certificate of education, I think it's called. Uh, and the papers used to be sent over to England. And the school I was going to, because I was just under 16 years old, uh, they limited me to four subjects, GCE. And I said, well, I would like to uh, write the O-level art exam. And they said, we don't even teach art in the school. We can't enter you. So what I did, I went and I entered for art outside of the school by myself. I found out how I can enter the GC exam. And so instead of four subjects, I wrote five. And when you're doing the art exam, it is unlike any, any other one of the exams I did. You know, when you're writing English or something like that, you, you sit down and you got so many hours to complete so much. In art, you have, I think, three days you had to go back. Uh, one day and then the second day and then the third day. And each, each project that they give you, uh, you had two and a half to three hours. And um, they would give you a verse and tell you to paint what you understand in the verse. Uh, remember putting them putting a little uh, a vase in front of me with a flower, uh, with a, f a bunch of flowers uh, right up there. And it says, can you do the pencil work? Why am I saying all of this? Is because in one hour, all my co-partners that were writing the exam, they were getting up and leaving. And I'm saying, you guys are leaving? They said, yes, you can't. You see, you can't copy art. You got to be an artist. And so they are all leaving. And I'm looking at the time, and I've got an hour and a half more to go. Two and a half hours. And what I did, I sat down there, and I perfected the art with my pencil. When I was done, after you see, I never sat two and a half hours and did something like that. After two and a half hours, I look at my own uh, sketch, my own drawing, uh, pencil drawing, and I, I was so proud of it. It was absolutely perfect. The little, the little uh, frills on the leaves were all there. I made sure every, you can think it was a print. And you could just leave it like everyone and go away. But I sat there that day to perfect what I was already 
doing. And that is what Paul meant when he says perfecting holiness. You don't just, I'm holy. No. You try to make it even holier than it is holy. You're trying to bring perfection to holiness. And that is why uh, when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, uh, he talks about the need for perfection. And uh, leave Corinthians for a moment here. Uh, uh, but um, we're going by, we're going forward now to Ephesians chapter 4. And he writes here, and we're all acquainted with all of these scriptures, and I can just quote the scripture from my memory, but it's good for us to look at it one more time. He says, and he gave some apostles, verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 11. He says, and he gave some apostles and prophets, pastors, uh, uh, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why is the ministry given? The ministry is given not for the entertaining of the people. The ministry is given for the perfecting of the people. Now, can you imagine if I was sitting in that exam room and I have two and a half hours, total two and a half hours to do this sketch and the fire alarm goes off and while I'm one hour into the sketch and everybody has to leave the building and then I come back and they said, no, your time is up. That's not fair. It's not fair because I was not given what was needed to see perfection. Well, can you be a pastor trying to perfect people and uh, by the time you do a little job and put some lessons in, you don't see them again? And when you see them back the next time, there is no additional perfection done in the lives. If that was art, you'll quit being an artist. And it is not encouraging when men of God preach and they preach and they preach and the saints fail to change. See, Paul, the ministry is given for, for the perfecting of the people. I would like to see individuals change and become better tomorrow and become even a little more better the month that followed. But with the world coming on into the church, it seems like it's mission impossible. And that is the problem God had with Israel when he started and Paul says, perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry, etc., etc., etc. But then when God was uh, dealing with Israel in Isaiah, the fifth chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, uh, the Lord, and this was a scripture that encouraged me one time. There was a time when our church had eight elders, eight elders, eight elders. And I went to Connecticut to a convention and I was telling somebody I said I've got eight elders and my elders in whom there is no iniquity at that time I didn't even understand what the iniquity was but I said I have eight elders in in whom there is no iniquity and you know it was not even six months to a year after that was done I started to see the elders start to slowly vanish and diminish and one after the other they're gone 
And see, Lord was teaching me a lesson, and a lot of what happens in this church is to teach me valuable lessons in my own life. And I see them gone, and so I cannot put my neck on the block for that. And I remember one morning, I, um, I got up, and uh, I had an encounter with one of the elders a Sunday night. Uh, when I was finished preaching, I preached a lesson on that Sunday night, uh, right here in this church. And we had a band. All, that time Sunday night was full band. You know, we got things going. And I preached a lesson. And I'm not going to teach the lesson here tonight, but it was a very strong lesson. But it was not something that um, this elder agreed with. And the reason why he would not agree with me was he was reading Jerry Bridges' books. See, the moment you leave this church and start to drink water out of another cistern, our brains would not work alike and our spirits would not cord because you're feeding from another source. You're being contaminated. God is very particular about what his people feed on. He is one of the strangest qualities God has. He says, I'm a jealous God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You know, I never could really understand, why is he jealous? I thought that was a human thing. Well, it's not that he's jealous, it's that he wants you to only serve him. And that is why when Israel were, were going, was leave, there, Israel was leaving uh, Egypt and going on into Canaan, the Lord said to the nation of Israel, he says, After the doings of the land where you're coming out from, you shall no longer do. And in the land that you're going into, you can't do that either. I am the Lord your God. And I will give you statutes and ordinances that will keep you sanctified, save you from the past, and sanctify you that the future would not affect you. See, that is what God thinks. And as I look today, I find that we have a problem. And so I, uh, that night, the brother came over and he says, I disagree with you. Now, an elder never told me that. I mean, I scarcely have elders coming up to tell me after I'm finished preaching. That was a good message. Forty years I'm here and I scarcely have an elder would do that to me. Come up after I'm finished and says, Brother Singh, that was a good message. But you see, that is my cup of tea that God has given me. Uh, he, I help individuals around the world and they fail to say thank you. It has been the way things work with me. And when we used to have an anniversary, Sister Indira started up an anniversary weekend. And when you have an anniversary, you're putting pressure on the people to appreciate you. But when there's no anniversary, Nobody remembers what is an anniversary. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you what's happening. And so that night I went home and it bothered me. I did not eat a snack. I went up and I slept. And I got up early in the morning. And I come down and I'm standing there at the stove, flat top stove. And I walked with my Bible. 
And I opened my Bible, and right in front of me, this scripture in Isaiah came, in Isaiah chapter 5, was opened up. Now, I, don't, I never did that again to find another scripture. But that day, I opened up, and there it was. Because while I was lying in my bed, thoughts came into my head. And um, the, when I thought when, you see, I can't even remember the statement I made when I, that this, all of this happened. But I came and I looked down, picked Isaiah chapter 5. And the Lord says, now I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. Isaiah is writing, he says, my well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. I had some visitors the other day and someone says, have you ever planted a grape tree? I said, I planted two. And the one I planted, you see, when, I, when I'm thinking I want a grapevine to grow a grapevine, I'm thinking big grapes like this, an inch and a half, two inch uh, grape, you know, the nice long purple looking grape. That's what I'm thinking. And so I went and I got Concord grape. And it sounds like Concord, like sounds like a big grape. Here was a little skinny, little purplish thing like that. When you suck on it, it's sweet at first and then it becomes sour on the inside. It's, I think, especially designed to make wine or something. So I pulled both of the trees out and got rid of the tree because it was not what I wanted. And the Lord says, I'm planting a vineyard, a very fruitful hill. He chose the good spot. You choose a good spot. He says, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof. And he dug a 18 inch, maybe 18 inch hole. It is not a fruitful place we have got, but God to plant a choice vine, he moved all the rocks out. He made it a fertile place to plant his vineyard. And it says, and then he fenced it. He, he hedged it around with a fence and gathered out the stones thereof and planted the choicest vine. He chose the best you could get in the market, not Concord. And so God did the same and he chose the best vine. And built a tower in the midst of it. So he's got a watchman there with a tower. A watchman is there. A tower. Uh, I think it might be a watchtower to watch for small foxes coming in that will spoil the vine. He wants to make sure no animal comes in to destroy the vine. And he also made a wine press. What faith this is. He made a wine press. When this is finished... He might have planted Concord. He says, when this is finished, I'm going to make wine. So the wine press is there. The fence is there. The vines are the choices. The ground is fertile and ready to plant. He has done everything within his power to produce a good crop. And he goes on here, he says, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes was it God's fault no it was not the farmer's fault it was not the the vineyards uh, vineyard owner's fault it was a problem with the the production that's there 
And that is why cleanse yourself. We have a responsibility not to just come to church, but to cleanse ourselves on a daily basis. And the Lord looked and he says, I did everything that I could. And what am I reaping? Wild grapes. Oh, inhabitants, he said to Jerusalem, he said, Oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray thee, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done with it? Therefore, wherefore, when I look that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Verse 6, I will lay it waste. When I planted my grapevine and it did not bear the kind of grape I wanted, I pulled both out. I didn't do it overnight. I waited and see if it would bear. Somehow they ought to get larger grapes. But it didn't. I put a mesh around it so the birds would eat it. Didn't work. So it did not it was not what I wanted to plant, so I root them out. And it might be a type, it might be an indication of my spirit. And so God says, here is what I will do. And he says, I will lay it waste. It shall be, it shall not be pruned nor dig. I'm not going to fertilize this unworthy vine. He says, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I says, I'm not going to pull weeds. Let it go to the, the, to the dogs, if I can use that part as uh, kind of speech. For the vineyard of the Lord and the, of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. And I was reading this, I was reading this the morning, and it encouraged my heart. And I'm thinking, um, the Lord, you know, the, the statement I made that night that offended the elder, I said, God appreciated his son. God looked at his son and he appreciated it. Um, he, had, he had respect unto his son. And the elder came that night and says, God is a respecter of no person. He says, I can't agree with you. He said, God respects no person. And he walks out. And, uh, you know, when an elder acts like that, you know he's going to backslide, leave the church. But um, it didn't happen overnight. And uh, while I'm looking at this scripture and I'm thinking, why is it, is it, is it, is it God is telling me something here? And then the scripture came into my mind that the Lord, when he looked at Cain's offering, he had no respect unto Cain's offering, even though it looks nice. It, it looked better than Abel's sacrifice. But unto Abel and his offering and his sacrifice, the Bible says God had respect unto Abel and his sacrifice. And you know, while I'm thinking of that standing in front of the stove, not cooking my Bible, but uh, reading my Bible, Sister Chandri came down, footsteps, and she don't get up that early, but she came down like five o'clock in the morning. She says, Dad, I'm lying on my bed, and guess what scripture came to my mind? I said, tell me. She says, God had no, had re no respect for Cain, but he had respect unto Abel. You see, those are things that mean a lot to me. Simple things. Uh, the Lord placed it in my heart. He touched her mind and brought her down. 
And that means a lot to me. And when I'm looking at the church, what encourages me is Scripture. See, Scripture encourages me because I look at men like Paul and, and uh, the men in the Old Testament. And they, they labor, they did what God called them to do. And maybe most of what they did was meant for them. When Paul was writing to the church at Rome, in Romans the second chapter, he says here, and this is important for us to understand. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and I told you earlier, Paul liked to list things. And he does list things. Uh, he doesn't say, well, you know, to be sinful is bad. He will tell you all kinds of sins. And so in chapter 1 of Romans, he dealt with a lot of, of items here. He talked about the wrath of God is revealed, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth, the absolute perfect truth is being preached in that work. But the lifestyle is contrary to the will of God. You see, I can sit here and I can preach absolute truth, preach the Godhead right, preach the doctrines of the resurrections right, uh, preach the mortality, uh, the immortality or the mortality of the soul right. Talk about the doctrine of hell right. I could have all my doctrines right. Truth in its perfection. But I never had the truth experienced in my life. So when Jesus said you shall know the truth. And when you have an experience not only of head knowledge of truth, but heart knowledge of truth, it sets you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When a church continues to do things contrary to what God wants, then that church might be given up. Because God says they hold the truth in unrighteousness. And Paul is introducing himself. He's worse than Isaiah. Isaiah introduced himself calling the people there like they're worse than donkeys and, and, uh, and uh, uh, oxen. Paul is telling them here, he's, it, this he has not even gone to the people. And he's saying here, he says in verse 21, Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. He says, people become very worldly and carnal. And it was how you look and how you dress and what your parents says and what you put on and what you own. Vain, vanity took a hold of the work of God. Paul is dealing with that because someone had passed on some information or maybe God had just touched his mind. And he said here, Verse 24, very sad verse. He says, Wherefore, God also give them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts. You can come to a place that you fail to honor God and to put God on a pedestal. You block God out of your mind and God give you to unclean thoughts and evil. Isn't that a sad position? 
Instead of God saving you, he's giving you over to unclean thoughts and evil in your mind. He says uh, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. See, sometimes uh, you look, I'm looking at, I told Chandri, I asked her today, um, we were going down our street and we have a couple that um, she said that to me, she said that, that lady uh, that lives in that house, she called uh, the other lady her husband. And she said, Dad, that's funny. Uh, she said, one lady called the other lady her husband. And she pointed out the house to me. And you would not, I would not tell you what I have in mind to do. But I must love the unlovable. I must be able to reach out to even the man that the world condemns. But when God gives someone over, there's nothing I can do to help them. And it goes on here, okay? It goes on here when God gives them up, all right? In verse 25, it says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped the creature uh, more than the creator. And God gave them over, verse 26, For this cause God gave them over, to vile affections. When God give you up, uh, you're, you're, you're in a bad position. No evangelist can save you. But there are individuals out there that are caught in a situation that might need to be saved. My responsibility is to do my best and leave to God the rest. I must pray for individuals before I condemn individuals. Did I ever pray for those people in the street? Make a guess. Yes, I have. I pray, oh God, give me a right attitude to them and save them if it, this is your will. And Paul went on and he lists all kinds of uh, sins here. He says here, filled with all, verse 29, filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, Oh my God, there's a list here. Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. You mean somebody can have all of this working in their life? Believe it or not. Paul likes to go down the list. He doesn't like to generalize everything. Well, you know, if you have committed a sin, you know, God will forgive you. Jesus died for the sin. No. He likes to list the sins and you find out which one you're guilty of. Did he isolate the works of the flesh? Yes. Did he isolate the fruit of the Spirit? Yes. Hold your finger in, in, in Romans, the first chapter, and turn back with, turn forward with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul writes and he talks about the ministry. He says, we then as workers together, verse 1, beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. See, God is good and we are not dead today because of his grace. It is the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God that has me alive today. If, he were to, if God was to judge me for my sins, I'd be dead a long time ago. But I'm sitting here tonight because of His grace. You're not sitting there because you're, I guess, a healthy person taking care of yourself. You've got to do your best. But it is the grace of God that has kept us safe 
and allowed his son to die for our sins. All right? And Paul says in chapter 6 and verse 1, uh, he says, We are here by the grace of God uh, that we beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Please do not take God for granted. Amen. Amen. And he goes on here, he says, verse uh, 3, he's talking to ministers, those who are in a ministry with him. He's talking, he's writing to a general church, but there are ministers in that church that he's trying to tap into. He says here, giving no offense, verse 3, uh, in anything that the ministry be not blamed. They're in the vigils, I told you, the tale of the serpent. I would like to draw the stars of heaven to the ground. And two-thirds, you know, that's a scripture every theologian in the past has used to say when Lucifer fell, he fell with two-thirds, uh, one-third of the angels, right? One-third. Uh, he took one-third of the angels uh, in rebellion. They use a scripture in Revelation chapter 12. There is no other scripture in the entire Bible that tells you that Lucifer fell and with one ter third of the angels. There is no scripture that says that in your Bible. Amen. Have you ever heard that before? That when Lucifer fell, he fell with one third of his angels, of the angels in heaven? But there is no scripture. The only scripture they use is Romans, uh, Revelation, the 12th chapter, which says the tail of the dragon drew a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the ground. Not a, that's not a meteorite shower. And they said the tail of the dragon, it goes back into history when he fell. That's poor, but Terry would call it Bible exegesis. That's not, you don't build a doctrine because somebody said so. And I'm getting out of the, my league here. And so Paul, in writing here, he talks about the workers. He says, but in all things, verse 4, we plan to be an elder, a minister, he says, in all things, approving ourselves. Like we are to cleanse ourselves. But as ministers that would offer the saints perfection, we've got to first be perfected. Isn't that right? We cannot offer you perfection if God is not working in our lives. And Paul says, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. And someone says, well, yes, I'm a man of God. God has blessed me. I've got three cars. I've got six bungalows. You know, God has really been with me. No, no, no. Here is how you prove yourself. Approve yourself to be a minister of God. Paul says, here is how you do it. In much patience. He's going to list again. This man likes to list. He says in much patience. In afflictions. In necessities. You don't always get what you want. When a minister gets all what he wants economically all the time. He is not going to grow in God. Are you listening to me? See why some people don't want to be a minister in this man's church? If you get everything that you want, anytime you need something, you can go out and get it. And that is where credit cards become a destruction to a lot of individuals, myself included. In, in necessities, 
Well, here is what Paul says. I'm approving myself as a minister in distress. Verse 5, we have not reached this one yet. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Now these are the early church ministers that you and I would like to compare ourselves with. There's no comparison. We don't get persecuted. We don't get lashes for what we preach. We don't get thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. We're living in a highfalutin society. We preach for the entertainment of the people rather than their salvation. And he goes on here and he says, that's not all, not the suffering only. He says, but let's go on. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by no fake love, by genuine love, that is, and by the Word of God, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand, in honor and dishonor. Somebody tried to destroy your credibility, uh, trying to destroy your repetition like they lied on Jesus. You still want to serve God. By honor and dishonor. By evil report and good report. As deceivers, somebody says you're a false prophet, but yet you're true. That's okay. I think you're a false prophet, brother, saying, well, suit yourself. I don't think so, but if that's what you think, that's up to you. Except God touches your eyes, you would think contrary. He says, um, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet we are not killed. Does God chastise his ministers too? Yes. You see, when you read the qualifications of what a minister ought to be, when Paul is writing it, you get a different picture of some of these jokers we have calling themselves preachers on television. This is the book. This is the book. We are just reading the wrong section. Read the right sections. And he goes on here, he says, a sorrowful. Uh, he says, and yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing in God's sight all things. Uh, this is such a wonderful expression of what a minister ought to be. Paul is writing this. And so back here in Romans, if we are striving for perfection, the ministry ought to be saved, uh, the people ought to be saved, but we need to be persistent in what God is working. And so Paul lists all of this evils in, in chapter 1, and then he goes to chapter 2 and he condemns the Jews. He was condemning Gentiles in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he's condemning the Jews. And then he comes down to a very important verse here in verse 6. He says, To them, if we're to reach perfection, here's a verse for us. To them, who by patient continuance in well-doing, you know, it's good to find a church and listen to some good choruses and get blessed for service, two services. 
<clears throat> but to be faithful to the end is not an easy thing. Hold your finger in Romans, the second chapter, and turn back with me to Proverbs. I just need one verse out of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs, the uh, 20... Uh, 20, 20th chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs is writing, like Solomon is writing this. And in verse 6, he says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Verse 6, let's read that together. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? So what God needs are faithful men. He does not only need faithful men, he needs faithful saints. And so back here in Romans chapter 2 and verse 7, to them who by patient continuance, well, you know, I'm serving the Lord all these years. Well, I know. Don't give up. Though the Lord tarry, Habakkuk says, yet wait for him, Though he tarried, though the prophecy seemed not to come, don't give up. Don't be like the, the evil servants in Matthew 24 that start to smite their fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards because the Lord is not coming. Not because he's not coming can you give up the hope, but be patient. Say that out to me. Be patient. And not only patient, but patient continuance in well-doing. You're doing good. You're helping people. You're faithful to the church. Can we find, who can find a faithful man? For a person to boast themselves and declare their own goodness, that's easy. But Solomon says, but a faithful man who can find. May God give us faithful saints. May God give us a few people that will be patient and continuing, continuing in well-doing. So let's read this again. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing. What are we doing? Seeking for glory. We're seeking for honor. We're seeking for immortality. We're seeking for eternal life. We're here seeking, I can add a few more things there, seeking to get into the kingdom, uh, seeking to be with the Lord forever, seeking to rule and reign with Christ. We can all add all of that, but the important element here, can you be faithful? Be faithful and don't give up. I'm so glad to see you all out here tonight, those of you that's been around for many, many years. Be faithful, don't give up. A lot of people start the race and never finish. And maybe about 15, 20 people start the race. And oh my gosh, some guys are way ahead. And the guys up in front, Instead of 20, by the time you reach the fifth time around the racetrack, you got about five or six already panting for breath and sitting at the side of the racetrack. Malahu does not give up. 
And when you have two more laps to go, you would see this man suddenly put some speed on. And from the last, by the time they finish the last round, he's way ahead of the game. See, the race is not for the swift. The race is not for the strong, nor the swift. But they that endure unto the end. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for honor and glory and immortality and eternal life. Let's not give up in this race. Let's stick it out right up to the end. As we see people fall off, don't give up. Everybody say, don't give up. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this night in your house. We thank you for encouraging our hearts once again with your word. Lord, we cannot make this of our own. Except you build a house, we know we can't build it. And except you keep the city, even the watchman would wake but in vain. Lord, it's not by human strength. It's not human genius. It's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Father, help us to endure to the end. Help us as we go through this cleansing process. That, oh God, ministers and saints alike will hold on to the end, not contaminating ourselves, but to continue the cleansing process until the work is done. God, we thank you for your grace, and we pray you'll continue to work with us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.